right? And yet now, as you've grown up or as you're getting older, you find yourself doing the exact same things. But you don't fuss at yourself nearly as hard as you fussed at mom and dad. Right, Sherry? <laughs> I'll call out some people, but <laughs> not everybody. But now that's what we do, right? I mean, I, I do it too. That uh, the, the things we, we see in our parents that we start to see in ourselves. And so, but scripture does that too. Scripture is like a mirror for us a lot of times. It, the Jesus' words, when, when we read them, we're kind of forced to look at them and say, wow, is that me? Am I, is that where I'm at? And, and it kind of makes us deal with them. And Jesus never had a problem of asking us the hard questions. That's the way a lot of dads are kind of known to be, is that one that would ask the difficult questions, right? The, the make you think kind of questions, where moms usually are a little more of the take care of their kids and, and love all my kids and, and make sure the kids have got enough to eat and, and you know, moms, y'all fret over those kind of things, where dads fret over, not much, but, but, <laughs> but, but dads fret over, are my, are my kids going to be able to provide for themselves? Like, do they know enough, right? I mean, that's what I, I always wrestled with was, have I taught them enough that they'll be successful? Like, my daughter has a flat on the side of the road. Is she going to know how to change it? Right? Those are the things that bother me. My wife is like, well, does she have a number for AAA? And I'm like, yeah, but you can't trust AAA. You've got to be able to change the tire yourself, right? It's am I teaching my kids how to survive in the world, right? That's the dad's kind of mentality. And that's what I see in today's text is Jesus kind of comes to it at a, with a dad's mentality. He asks some hard questions, right, that kind of forces us to deal with the question. And then he shows us how those who learn to fish actually what they caught, right? As, as you can see, it's, it's the disciples' call, it's those questions that he asks, and the mission that he sends us on. Like what's the, what happens in that? What's that? What is that teaching them to fish? What does it look like? So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's a long text, and I'm going to go fast. So uh, I would encourage you to, to spend some time in this this week. Find a Bible. If you don't have one, take one near you. We'll buy another one. Uh, but, but get a Bible. Get God's Word into your hand because this really is God's mirror that he's going to hold up to your, to your life. And you can say, is that me? I'm, I'm going to ask you that question later. Is that you? Where are you? And, but, but that's what the, this whole passage of Scripture is all about that. So we start in this, in this story here where, with Jesus. Uh, the call, right? Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, Jesus and all of his disciples and this crowd of folk who were following him, right? A man comes up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What do you say about that? Right? Jesus says, you know, if you're going to follow me, then you need to figure out how much, where, where following me fits in your line of priorities, right? And, does your, and for us, it may be, for the love for Jesus, where does, does it come before our love for comfort and wealth, the things that wealth can provide? Does our love for Jesus take priority over our personal comfort and the things that wealth can provide? Does it? This man was a scribe which means that he wrote the Bible. Like, 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 who wrote the Bible? This guy actually wrote it all down, right? Word for word, letter for letter, again and again. That was his job, day after day after day, to write the Bible. He, and you know, you know what happens when you write stuff down. You remember it, right? That's why we don't remember anything anymore, because we just do it with our thumbs, and so we don't really 
engage our brains completely when we write when we write nowadays. So we don't remember what we said or what we wrote because we didn't write it. But when we write by hand, it actually imprints it on our brain. So he had God's word imprinted upon his brain, but not his heart. But not his heart. But not his heart. He had done good things for God, but he was unable to do great things for God because he was unwilling to step into the unknown. He had a, he had a pretty important role. And he was unwilling to give that up, to walk away from that. I mean, he, he, frankly, he didn't have what it took to just walk away. Walk away from everything. To, to step out into the unknown like that. I, how many of us would say that? I can't give everything away and just follow Jesus. Like, how would I even do that? God says that he created the heavens and the earth, right? He made the mountains, the stars, the fish in the sea, right? Scripture tells us that again and again and again, right? He's given you everything. Don't you think he could give you more? Yeah, we think he could give us more, right? We think he could, he continues to do that. Well, let me ask you this. Don't you think he can give you everything you need to step out and follow like, don't you think he can meet the requirement if he calls you to do something? Don't you don't don't we believe that that he will actually the ground will be there when I step, right? As I follow Jesus, like I'm not just going to step out into nothing, like because he called me because he loves me. When I step out, there's going to be something there to put my foot on. We believe that. I hope we do. This guy struggled with. This guy struggled with the idea of giving up his comfort, and his wealth, to follow Jesus. But Jesus gives us the ability to sacrifice, empowers us to sacrifice. We know this, but this disciple, he couldn't put Jesus ahead of his wealth and all the things that wealth can provide. When we're afraid of where Jesus calls us to go, we find ourselves right where this disciple it's like the, the, the seed that fell in the rocky soil. You remember that parable we read a while back, right? That the worries of the world, the expectations of the world just kind of choke it out. It still grows. It still looks like a stalk of wheat, but it doesn't produce any fruit. It doesn't produce fruit because it can't, because it's restricted by all the worries of the world. It can't follow. We, we actually believe, th these folks, us, when we fall into this trap, right, we actually believe that our stuff will satisfy us. We actually believe that. And, and as you stop and think for a moment, you know that your stuff doesn't satisfy you. Because you need more different, you need more different whatever, right? It never, it doesn't satisfy. We've got to keep getting stuff. And Jesus says, find your satisfaction in me. Find your satisfaction, find your comfort in me, because I'm the comforter. On the cattle on a thousand hills. Secondly, he moves on to an, he meets another man in verse 59. Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, okay, okay, okay. But first, let me go and bury my dad. Oh my goodness, who wouldn't let him do that? But Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So, so what is this? This one, make, 
take you a minute to kind of kind of get your mind wrapped around a little bit. But but this really is putting the love for Jesus before our vocation and our plans for our future. Putting putting God our love for Jesus ahead of our work. Now, who would why would that be such a hard thing to do? Well, just to kind of where, where this comes from is that in the Jewish culture, if someone, if you died, you had to be buried that within 24 hours, right? You were usually buried that day, right? Before the sun went down, they buried you. And so this isn't like dad died and I've got to go home and bury him. That's not what he's saying. What this is, is that, you know, well, somebody invites you over to, for dinner and you had really wanted to do something else, but you don't want to tell them that you really want to do something that's just a waste of time. Like, so, so we, we get a little more creative and, and we say, well, I have an appointment. <laughs> when in reality, there's a show on that night or a baseball game on that night and you really want to watch it, right? So you don't want to go out to dinner and sit in a restaurant with people you don't really like. And so instead, I have an appointment. Right? That, that, now you may, that may not be your example, but, but we kind of exaggerate the thing that's going to prevent us from doing it. Somebody wants to take, go on a trip with you and you're like, I can't. I, really, I have some things I have to do that week and I'm not able to do it. We always have things to do, right? So that's a kind of a blanket excuse for all. That's kind of what this was in Jewish culture. Is that, that I can't do that because I, I gotta go and I gotta go bury my father. Like I gotta I've got a responsibility to my dad, to my family's work. I can't just go and do whatever I want. I, I gotta I, I can't go my dad's work. Right? That was it was kind of a colloquial kind of phrase. It wasn't that he was actually gonna bury his father. It was more about his work. It was about, but this, my, my work is more important than that. Like I've, got to, I've got things I've got to do. I've got responsibilities. I've got, I've got work to do. Maybe we, just, maybe we just call it that, that I'd rather work than go and do that sort of thing. It's a typical response. But you let the dead bury their own dead, Jesus said. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. Work is the means of getting what is most important in our lives. Work is the means to get what's most important. For some, their work is a way to get significance, purpose, so, so security. Their work is a way to have influence or power. And this can be hobbies. This doesn't mean labor. This can be your hobbies, your activities, the things you spend your time doing that you feel like you are obliged to do because they reward you in some way. Work, success becomes our God. Then. You see? Success becomes our God, not Jesus. But let me ask you, who gives us work? Who gives us the ability to do work? The talent, the strength? Who gives us all these things? Not a trick question. It's God, right? Thank you for the front row. Like, God gives us God gives us the ability to work, right? You don't earn a living. It's given to you. You've got all the resources to do it. You've got the opportunity to do it. You've got the breath in your lungs to do it. You're given a living. You're given a life. That's what Jesus says. Why do you make it all about you? He says to this guy. Why are you making it all about you when, when I'm the source of all of that? You let the dead bury their own dead. You go declare the kingdom of God. And then he moves into one that 
that we kind of sympathize for. Verse 61, still another one comes up to him and says, oh, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Who's going who's gonna to deny that, right? Well, Jesus. <laughs> That's who. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Most people who look back, no. No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom. A lot of people read these little parables here, or little interactions, as salvation stories. That all of these people were denying, following Jesus, denying Christ, the, the devotion that he, he, he earns, right? They're denying Christ because of their love for these other things takes precedence. Even the love for family. Even the love for family. Even the love that we have for our children, our moms, our dads, our whoever's in our life, the relationships we have, those things can become our God. We can love them more than Jesus. We can be more devoted to our spouse than to God. Happens all the time. More devoted to our kids than to God. Happens all the time. Was Jesus not pro-family? Absolutely he was. Did he love spouses and kids? Absolutely. Were single people better off, better than, than married folks? No. But Jesus understood the pull of responsibility. He understood that distraction. Distraction. That's what it was. It was a distraction from the mission of God. I don't want to say you know, your family's a distraction, but, but it is a distraction when you're doing something, right? Back in the day when I learned to, uh, when I grew up on a farm, your farm was way different back then. Uh, you, nowadays, you just kind of push a couple of buttons and the tractor goes straight. And you don't have to worry about anything. They never plow the ground. They just kind of plant stuff over last year's stuff. And it's, it's like completely different than the way we used to do it when I was a kid. When I was a kid, they planted the beans or they planted the corn, and, and you actually plowed the, the, the planted crop. Like you had plows that would go down the row. <clears throat> and if the, 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 everything was planted on eight rows or 12 rows or whatever, you know, it was 12 rows wide, and so... If you, if, you got, if you ran over one row, you actually ran over 12 rows, right? Because you get a little bit off track, and it would, like, run over the whole thing. And so that wasn't a job. If you couldn't, like, say focused ahead, you were looking around, looking back, you would certainly run over stuff, and you'd plow up 12 rows at a time, but, and then 12 more before you could get things straightened back out, right? <clears throat> and that wasn't a job you kept very long. I know from experience. <laughs> like, that's a job that dad fires you very quick from. And if you were like me, he gives you a hoe, and he says, go out in that field, and you cut them with a hoe. We won't tear up nearly as much stuff. And it worked. Well, I don't know if it worked, but uh, <laughs> I didn't get much done. But I didn't plow up the field, right? I didn't plow up the good crop. That's what Jesus is saying. If, if you're going to look backwards, you're going you're gonna to destroy everything. If you're not focused, ahead, if you're not, so, so the family and relationships, because Jesus knew that without a doubt that if this guy went back to his family, because Jesus knows our thoughts, right, that, that if he went back to his family, he wasn't coming back, he wasn't going to rejoin the mission, no, he was done, he's going to go back and, and family's going to say, oh, don't leave, come on, we got all this to do, and, and the kids are going off to kindergarten next year, and you know, all the things we got to do, and, and, and yeah, I'm not leaving, I'm staying here with my family, Jesus knew he wouldn't come back. 
one thing that how different our faith is at home than it is at church. Church, we sing and pray, read the Bible, do all that. We get home, songs we sing are a little different. The movies we watch are a little different. The things we read, we occupy our minds with are a little different. Why does our faith have to be different around friends and family than it is with God? Is there a way to follow Jesus and be invested in your family? Absolutely. But I think the only way for it to happen is for Jesus to be first and family to come next. Absolutely. Jesus first, primary responsibility is to glorify God. And, my, and providing for and serving and loving my family is absolutely second. Nothing else. Getting our priorities straight. Because if Jesus comes first in your life, you will love your family. You will love your family. I'm reading a book right now, The, the Boy Crisis. Anyway, it's about, a lot of the book is about dads, right? And, our, and the dads, the lack of fatherhood today in, in our culture and what it's doing to boys today. And, and I firmly believe that if dads were invested in their children in a positive way, in a helpful way, not in a way that says you've got to be like me, but in a way that says how can you be a man today? Our world would be in a better place. Our world would be in a better place. But it can't be, you got to do what I did. Right? It can't be that because the world's different today. Like we're not preparing boys to go off to war anymore. We're preparing, we've got to figure out how to prepare boys to sit behind a keyboard all day and feel like their own mission sidetrack. I'll get off on that. All these three were would-be disciples. They, they came to Jesus. They, they wanted to follow, but, but when it came time to put the rubber to the road, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They expressed their love for Jesus, but was it real? Were they followers? No. No, they said something else is more important, Jesus. Something else takes precedence over you. Their intention was in the right place. But the direction of their life was off. It's like me driving a tractor. Right? I, wanted, I wanted to plow the field straight, but I was distracted by all kinds of other things, and before you know it, I was tearing everything up. See, these men, these would-be disciples, they understood enough to know what they ought to do, but the direction of their lives was towards something other than Jesus. Direction not intention determines your destination. Determines where you're going. Not where you want to go, but actually where you're go- the where you're headed. Like you, you got to be intentional to get to Rock Hall, amen. You got to, you got to want to find Highway 20. Like you got to, you got to want to be here. You're not going to stumble across Rock Hall. Like nobody says, "How did I get here?" Like no, you don't. You know exactly how you got here. So there ain't but one way in. <laughs> you didn't get here by accident. No. No, it's, it's, it happened. You came right here. The direction of our lives, not how we meant to, things to work out, determine where we wind up. We've all probably heard the phrase, hell is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right? It's very true. Very true. Good intentions are nothing more than good intentions. If you know the things... In your life that are non-negotiable, life is easier. 
life is simpler if you know the things in your life that are not negotiable. A lot of the hard decisions are already made. You think about that. If you decide ahead of time what's most important, then I've, I've solved half the struggles, right? All decisions are simplified. Somebody famous said this, and I, can't, I couldn't figure out who it was. All decisions are simplified once you know what's important to you. Very true. All decisions are simplified when you know what's important to you. What does it look like for someone who knows what's important? That's what we see in our the next text. A group of people who've clarified what's important, who they've, they've, they've lived it out, and then we begin to see what marks their life, the markers that their lives display. My dad uh, served in Korea, and he loved that part of his life. I mean, he, whenever you went to visit and you'd ask him questions, man, you'd just see him light up and he'd go get out the books and photographs and he was kind of a, an amateur uh, movie maker. You know, he made all these little home movies and everything. He'd get the real, the real things set up. I remember as a kid just watching those things with my father and he would just be, he would be there again, right? You know what I'm talking about. He'd be there again. He'd just reliving it all because he had been marked by that experience same way, the experience is the same way that are positively, right? Not always, not negatively, but positively. The positive markers in our life are the same on mission for God. When we follow Jesus, when we live our lives, priorities in order, like those disciples a moment ago, they couldn't get their priorities in order. When we get them in order and we start to follow Jesus, our lives become marked by distinct characteristics, distinct, distinct qualities that we see in this next section here in the Gospel of Luke. Starts in verse 1 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, right? He's on his way to the crucifixion, right? It's going to take him some time to get there. But he sends out these 72. They go out in pairs to these towns he's going to go through, his advance team, you might say, to go and prepare people to hear what's coming. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He says, don't just pray for yourselves, pray for everybody that's going out. Like, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of lost people in this world. We need to pray that God would send people out to experience that. And what happens? They do it. They go, and they do it. Obedience is this mark. A disciple's life is marked by obedience. You would say, I do what he tells me. He tells me to do it, I do it. He tells me to do it, I do it. Also, it tells us here in this text that that they go out in twos, two by two. It's not Christianity following Jesus is not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport. It's about relationships. There's power when, when we're gathered together. You know that? That there's a spiritual power. There's a, not just synergy that happens when you get together with groups of other Christians, but, but synergy is one of them. But when you're, when you're not alone, when you're, when you're with others, you kind of feed off the, the encouragement, the, the, what Jesus said, when two or more are gathered, I am there. There's a spiritual dimension that happens when we're gathered together with other believers for the mission of God. It happens. It happens. 
And that's why Jesus sent them out that way. He said, go in twos, be prepared. He said, go and pray. Pray that God would send others out. Because the mission isn't done. And by the way, the mission's still not done. Today, the mission's still not done. There are still lost people all around us. So Jesus was telling those guys, or those people, men and women, to pray for us as well. Because we're being sent out into the world to make disciples. We're sent, they're, they're praying for us. And we should be praying for others, who, that God would raise up others to go out and reach people. Reach the lost. Reach people who are separated from him. That's what God wants us to do. Obedience. Obedience, you see, isn't... Uh, well, I, I, I think I've shared the story before, but, but let's say, Mom, you've got to go to the grocery store, and you ask the kids, Hey, while I'm away, can you clean your room, please? And they're like, Sure, Mom. Like, that's what we did. And, and what, so you go to the grocery store, and you're, you're preoccupied with that. You come back, and the house is quiet. Go check the room, right? So you go upstairs, check the room. <laughs> Thought I asked you to clean your room. Yeah, you did. Why didn't you clean your room? Well, you know what? When I got up here, I got to thinking of all the things that I had to do. And so I made a list. And so I made the list, and there was so much on the list, Mom. It was just, I had to look up some of the things that I needed to do. Like, how do I do those things? And so I looked it all up, and I wrote the list, and then I wrote instructions on how to do it all. And it was a lot. And then I made copies of it. I wrote copies of it so I can like, always have a copy of this. And then I translated it in other languages. Like, like we'd laugh at that because it's ridiculous, right? Well, why didn't you clean your room? Well, I didn't have time. Right? But in reality, that's what we do in the church. We study what disciples are supposed to do study it. We get together and talk about it. We know what a disciple ought to do. Jesus says, just obey. Just, when it says go and tell people about the kingdom of God, like, don't worry about what is the Greek version of tell. What does that mean in the Greek and the Hebrew? Like, don't, just go tell people about the kingdom of God. Tell people. Like, just, just obey what I'm telling you to do. Don't, you don't have to figure out what does it mean. Just, just go do it. Just go do it. Obedience. I do what he tells me to do. Second thing that marks the life of someone living on mission for God is endurance. Verse 3, go. <laughs> I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound fun. He says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. But do not move around from house to house. You see, just because somebody down the street has a nicer house with a bigger bedroom for you, don't just go there. Stay where, you, where you've been welcomed. Stay there. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Don't say, well, do you have French fries? No. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Endurance says, I'm going to focus on the sharing the message of the gospel. No matter what else happens here, I'm going to be focused on that. He says, I'm going to heal. I'm going to do the things that God has called me to do. I'm not going to get in an argument with people. I'm going to talk to the people who are responsive to the gospel. 
That's what God, Jesus told them to do. When people's eyes kind of, like, when they lean in when you're talking about Jesus, talk to them. Don't go somewhere and, like, like when the one who says, well, that's wrong. Don't try to convince them. Like, okay. And move on. I think, like, we in the church, we want to argue about stuff. We want to convince people. Jesus says, don't convince people. Don't worry about convincing people. Just tell them. Just tell them the good news. If they don't want it, fine. I'll go talk to somebody who does. We in the church, I think we get a bad, we, we, we have a bad uh, reputation of wanting to argue about the things of faith, the matters of faith. We, we want to get in these culture wars, right? Isn't that what it's kind of described in our world today, the culture war? Like, instead of just loving people, I mean, okay, you don't agree? Fine. Do your thing. That's The Lord will convict you or he won't. It's not up to me. I can't convict anyone. You can't either. You can't change people. I can't change people. If I could, I would have changed myself a long time. I'd still be changing myself, right? But I can't. It's the Spirit that does it. It's the Spirit of God that does it. I think that maybe, you know, before COVID, and, and so before 2019, the church was in America was in decline, for sure. Since 2019, I think they would, most places would say that the American church is about, 40% to 50% of the people involved in the weekly life of the church as were involved prior to that. Nationwide. Very, very, very few churches are larger today than they were in 2019. Very few. Probably exceptionally few, right? Because there was this hiccup in our the patterns of our lives, right? And so people just kind of got out of it, and they don't, they've never gotten back into it. So I say this, maybe God is preparing who's here in church to love people the way they need to be loved. Like maybe he's trying to prepare us to love them when they, and then he'll call them, then he'll bring them here. But if we love them, they'll find a home. If people enter a place where they know they're loved, of that in my life. Our world is a dark place. There's judgment all around. You don't have to search for somebody who's going to criticize you today. You can just kind of scroll with your thumb and you find it real quick. Or you can just say something out loud and you get plenty of what? You don't, you don't have to work hard to get judged and criticized. today. What you do have to struggle to find is people who love you. Even though you can say those things, you can think those things, and people can love you anyway. That is rare. That's what God is calling us to be. I believe he's preparing the church to be that kind of place where, where you can think whatever you want to think, and I'm going to love you anyway. I'll be praying for you too because I think that's jacked up, but I'm going to love you. I'm not saying I've got to agree with you, but i got to love you. That's my responsibility to you and to my neighbor. If you love them, no matter what, let God work out all the change that he wants to do in our lives. He did it in me. He did it in you. He can do it in others. World, our world needs light. A lasting light. A light that endures. Not a light that passes. Not one that just passes by. But one that stays. And stays on. Our world needs light. Not a reminder that it's dark outside. Darkness knows it's dark. 
people living in darkness need a light. I, my, one of the father figures in my life was my high school coach, and, and his name was James Branning, and I love that man to death. And uh, he's dead now, but one of the things he, he would say to us is just stay in the game. Just stay in the game. Just don't, just don't leave. Just stay in the game. You, you, you never know. You're, nothing good is going to happen if you quit. Nothing good is going to happen if you, if you give up. Just stay in the game. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying here. When you go somewhere, just stay. Don't feel like there's something better somewhere else. No, no, just stay. It's annual conference this weekend. And, and good news, bad news, you get to decide. But, but I was uh, reappointed here for another year. My, wife, my family was. So uh, good, bad, or otherwise, I'm going to endure here in Rock Hall for another year. No, you don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. But this is, this is it, right? This is it. We're going to endure. Third thing is trust. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have, repent, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and in ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. Will you be lifted to the heavens is a question. No. You're going to Hades. You're going, you're, you're going to go to hell. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Jesus says, trust marks a, a disciple living on mission. Leaving the outcomes to God. The amazing thing about this particular passage is, is that he sent some of these 72 out to towns and villages that would reject them. Why would Jesus, why would God send you to places that were, you were going to experience conflict and, and you were not going to be accepted? Why would he do that? Why would God send you into hardship? Why would God, what, what sense does that possibly make that you would suffer in this life? <laughs> I don't know. But it must have a purpose. Here in this example, it does. Because they needed to hear the words of judgment. They needed to know that Jesus is coming and he's going to tell you this stuff himself. So you better get yourselves together. He says, he tells these disciples, if they reject you, and this has brought me peace in my life, like I can't imagine. I, I, I can't imagine because I experienced it. But when people reject you, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting. If you, if you go with the love of Christ in your heart and people reject you, know that they're rejecting Christ. Know they're rejecting Christ. I'll say that again. If you go and you approach people with the love of Christ in your life, if you genuinely wanting the best for them and they reject you, they don't want to hear what the gospel is, they don't want to hear the word of hope, know that they have rejected God. And you, can, you can go outside and wash your hands of it and say, Lord, I love them. It's the best I can do. See, it's not our job to transform people. It's not my job to change people's hearts. It's not your job to transform people, to, to fix people, right? You know, 
You know who fixes people, right? God, the Holy Spirit. It's not ours. Our job is to tell them the good news, to tell them about the kingdom of God that is to come, to tell them about where the hope in our lives comes from. That's our responsibility. The transformation that happens, that's his. That's all his. So I'll tell you what Coach Branning used to tell us. Do your job. Don't do the job of the person next to you. Don't do God's job. Let him do that. You do your job. Tell people. That's, that's our job, is to tell people. Somebody needs fixing, somebody needs changing, we're going to leave that to the Lord. But we're going to love them and tell them. Love them and tell them. Then he closes with the last one. 72, the 72 returned with joy, saying, the Lord even... Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Well, they're like, what? This is crazy, God. Jesus, he replied, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When you, were, when you guys were out there doing this thing, I saw Satan fall. He thought he had it in the bag, but he's crushed now, and he knows it. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, he told me. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Kind of got to read that a couple times, maybe get it together in your head and those to whom the Son has chose, chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. To hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. The people have been waiting to experience what you have just experienced, you 72. And you got this is the beginning of the kingdom of God entering into the world. This is it's the change that our, our nation, our, the nation of Israel, has longed for is happening right now. And you got to be a part of it, he tells them. You think they felt good? You think they were ready to run through a wall for Jesus right now? Absolutely. They were like, are you kidding me? That's what this has all been about? That we would get to go out and do what you've been doing all that? That's what this is all about? Come on now, these people fired up. They are ready. This is like the halftime speech of all halftime speeches. They are like ready to run. You know, I mean, they're like itching to get out of the gym. They're grateful for everything that, he's, that God has done. He says, don't be proud of yourself, but be thankful for what God has already done. Rejoice in the work that he's done, saving people, even yourselves. That's what you celebrate in. That's what you rejoice in. When you see God work through you, and you, some of you have experienced this, right? When, when, you, when you feel like you're, well, not, you don't feel like it. You know you're serving the Lord, right? I'm doing this for God. And when you, when you see somebody experience what you experience, like that change, that, that awaken to the Spirit, like when you, when you see somebody kind of come alive, it gives you goosebumps. It's like, wow, that is awesome. Like, I love that. I'm, I'm so happy for them. Not, I'm not, not, I'm so happy that I was able to do that. If you think that, you're jacked, you're twisted. But what you're thankful for is the fact that 
God did it in them because he did it in you. You didn't change you. You didn't save yourself. Right? God did it. And when you see somebody else experience salvation, it does nothing but inspire you. Nothing but inspire you. Makes you thankful to be used, to be part of the team, to be accepted by God, to be saved for a great work. It creates gratitude. Empowered to say yes, to follow Jesus. That's what the Spirit does in our lives, that we can experience these things, that we can be marked by these things, because it's the direction of our lives, not our intention, that determines where we're going. Individually, as a church, as a community, in any way you describe it, as your family, it's not, it's not what you, you really would like to happen. No. Where are you going? What are you doing? What, what am I actually doing to make it happen? So I ask you, what's the direction of your life today? Where does Jesus fit in the list of important things to do? Like if you were to do that, uh, that uh, Roosevelt, I think it was Roosevelt, came up with that, uh, things that are urgent and important, things that are urgent but not important, things that are important but not urgent, and then the stuff that the someday maybes, the, the things that are not important and not urgent. Where does, where does Jesus fit in all of those? Is he urgent and important in your life? Is he urgent and important in your life? Praise God. Praise God. That's what you celebrate. That you, Lord, have authority in my life. All of us can't say that. I want you to be able to say that. Pray with me. Lord, help us to surrender today. That you would take precedence in our life. That you would get all authority in our life. Lord, help us to see the things that that are holding us back. Help us to see where our love is misplaced. Help us to see, open our eyes to know if our comfort, our, our desire for wealth is more important than your role in our life. Lord. Help us to see where our work or our hobbies take precedence before you, Jesus. Show us, Lord, that you are the most important relationship that we have. Help us to, to kind of see ourselves, Father. This is scripture has shown us. Where does Jesus fall on our list? And then we might celebrate, Lord, his marks of being on mission with you. That we might look for ways that we can develop more trust, more obedience, more endurance, more gratitude. Help us, Lord. We love you. Lead us. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 <clears throat> I thank you for being here today. Uh, just a couple of things in, in closing. One is uh, there's a reading. We didn't print bulletins this week I, with annual conference going on. I wasn't able to get my stuff together and to help out uh, Vivian and Debbie who are in the office to, to print it all out and whatnot. So uh, that's on me. But uh, the one online will tell you that uh, this week, this Sunday, yes, yes, next Sunday, right? 26. Uh, we're having a barbecue uh, at Charles and Donna's house. 
over on Walnut Street, so you don't want to miss this one. I know, I know y'all are thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Uh, you don't want to miss this one. So, but what you need to do is you need to let them or let me know that you're coming. Let us know by Wednesday. Is that all right? Uh, that way we have enough food. We're asking everybody to bring a side and uh, whatever else she tells you to bring. <laughs> so, yeah, well, just don't go in the house. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. We will take our shoes off. Because <laughs> Miss Donna will be, her hair will be getting a little twisted if we <laughs> Just tease. But uh, thank you all for opening your house up or your yard up. You're, you're, come over and have a, have a cookout. I pray that many of us can attend. If you're not able to, that's fine too. But uh, just know that your, your church family is going to get together and have a little cookout and celebrate each other. So enjoy each other's presence. So let her know and let, or let me know during the week uh, if you're able to make it. All right? I guess all that's going on this week. It's kind of a quiet summer week. 